Hey there, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get the gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions, such as how do I get my show on Spotify and all the other places people love to listen? How can I make money with this podcast? And where do I want to host this show? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors so you can get paid to podcast. As an Anchor user myself, I love how easy it is to upload my podcast and the fact I can get to Spotify and other platforms. Plus, I love the fact I can now start making money with my talent and my podcast. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. For the first time on the Gem of the Queen's Crown, an author is the star of the podcast. Chuck Gabringer, author of Hockey and Dayton, sits down with me and we'll talk local Sunday sports. Welcome to the Gem on the Queen's Crown, an adventure taking you through the terrain of Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, the iHeart Radio app, TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Pocket Cast, Acast, Anchor.fm, Radio Line, Radio Public, Player.fm, Spreaker, Podbean. Pod Chaser, Overcast.fm, Beyond Pod, Podbay.fm, Listen Notes, TheLeeWMowen.com, and the host, GemCitySports.com. Music is provided by FreestockMusic.com. Now, please join your host for another exciting episode of the Gem of the Queen's Crown, Lee W. Mowen. we start episode number 39, just a couple new platforms to tell you. You can find the Gem on the Queen's Crown now on Playapod, iVoos, Cloudcaster, Pod Paradise, Fien, which is a German podcasting search engine. That's F-Y-Y-D. It could be Feed. It could be Fide. It could be something else. I don't know. And it's also available on the Antenna Pod app. So a lot more options to choose from, especially the ones through the opening now it's time to talk with our special guest, Chuck Gabringer. Chuck, great to see you. It's a pleasure to be here, Lee. Thank you very much for asking me to do this. Chuck Gabringer, as you might know, is a dedicated Dayton hockey fan, but is also the author of this fine book, Hockey in Dayton, Images of Sports. And I have the book <laughs> right here in my hand. That slapping is me slapping the cover. You can trust me on that promise. But uh, love this book, and if you don't have this book, Go get this book, which you'll find out where to get it, you know, a little later on. Chuck, uh, let's start from the beginning. Sure. Where are you from, and what's your history with local sports around here? Well, I grew up in grew up in Huber Heights, uh, and 
my tie to local hockey uh, began even before I was born. Uh, my oldest brother, Jim, uh, back in 1964, won the Dayton Daily News Contest to name the Dayton Gems. Um, I can't remember exactly how many entries there were for Gems, and it was like 38 or 39. And um, of those entries, Jim's name was pull, uh, pulled out of the hat. And he won, I think he won two season tickets wow. and uh, a pair of tickets to a couple of Gems road games that first year in 1964 and 1965. And he said he went to, they went to Fort Wayne and they went to Toledo to see the Blades at the old sports arena. So that's where it, really where it started. And um, really, you know, as, a, as a kid, uh, I remember I was the youngest of five boys. Uh, and we had a, a, a neighborhood full of kids. And we all had hockey sticks, and we all played hockey. We played hockey either in our driveway or growing up in Huber Heights. When we had snow, we, we played out in the streets, and we would have or make sure that the plow drivers would not come through our street and plow the street because we wanted, you know, we wanted the smooth, white, you know, ice, if you will, <laughs> on, on the street where, you know, where we could play. Um, and I may have mentioned this in, 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 um, you know, one of my, um, you know, in one of my talks that, that I've done, but I had a neighbor, uh, we had a neighbor around the corner from us who worked at Midas and he built a pair of hockey nets out of old muffler pipes. And instead of using twine for the net, we used chicken wire. So we had, we had two nets, um, you know, that, that we would play with, with the chicken wire. Either we'd play in the driveway or we, we'd play out in the street. When we played in the driveway, it was actually pretty cool, Lee, because we had a two-story house in Huber Heights. And the driveway, or I'm sorry, the, the, one of the bedrooms looked over the driveway. So if you weren't playing, you could stand up in the window and you could do a play-by-play. Like back then was Lyle Stieg doing the, doing the gems games and you could, you could do the play-by-play. You could open the window, even though mom and dad didn't like that <laughs> in the middle of winter, Well, you know. but you could do a play-by-play of the game. So yeah, that's what I remember, you know, from, from being a kid. And obviously, you know, we were, you know, we were gems fans growing up. My, my mom and dad were always season ticket holders. Um, we went every Thanksgiving Eve to, uh, sorry about that. That's all right. Um, we went to every, um, uh, mom and dad would take the kids to Thanksgiving or uh, to the game the night before Thanksgiving. Um, sometimes we get to go the rest of the year, usually when mom was not feeling well and she had a headache. So I did my best to make sure that she had a headache so I could, I could <laughs> get to, get to a game. But, yeah, there's so many things that I remember about Gems games. Um, um, growing up, um, Hera was Hera was different back then. Um, you know, the the concourse was was different. Um, you know, when when you walked in, the the color of the seats were different. That's just one thing that that I remember. The 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 seats had different colors, not the blue and the gold that the Bombers had, but they were. Um, I think they were they were blue, gold, and green, and the and the colors were very vivid. And um, there was an organist um, that sat on the, you know, on the uh, side of the arena that, you know, either the, the demons or the gems or the bombers up on the, you know, up on the platform there at the back of like section 37 and 39. If you remember where the, where the flag, oh, they, where, yeah. the, where the American flag hung. 
Yeah. 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 There was an organist up there. Wow. And, you know, there was there was organ music. And later on, you know, there was, you know, there was, you know, they played rock and roll like Bachman Turner Overdrive, like Taking Care of Business or Casey and the Sunshine Band. And that's the way I, that's the way I like it. But, um, you know, it was, it was just a, it was a really cool, it was a, it was a really cool experience. I mean, and I can, you know, it's like anything. I mean, I, I can still see the sights and I can still smell the smells of, of Hera, the, the Zamboni. I can still remember the exhaust of the Zamboni um, back then. But um, th- those images are 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 really uh, indelible to me. And I mean, even you know, forty five years later, I, I still carry those carry those things with me. Was that your main your main source of inspiration starting the book? Yeah, it. Um, you know, really. I mean, I, w- I was a fan when I was a kid, and. Um, you know, the 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 original idea for the book was to it was supposed to be about a book about the gems. And when I was in my when I was in my late twenties, a long time ago, so this was the you know the mid nineteen nineties. I I actually started this book with the intention of it being totally about the Dayton gems. Although that was the you know that was the start of the the, the bomber years, um, and I spent so much time I. I collected, uh, you know, the scores, you know, home and away and attendance, win, loss for all the Gems games. Um, um, you know, I, I had a, I had a, you know, remember this is back in the early 90s, mid-1990s. Had an, I, had, I had like an, an OS2 computer, you know, it was a huge, ugly monitor, and I used Lotus 1, 2, 3 to... It's, <laughs> it's back in the day where terabytes is not even a word. Exactly. You just made that up. No, that's a, that's a, that's exactly right. And uh, um, I can remember just sitting in my apartment on Wyoming Street, um, just putting all this information in. And back then, you didn't have email. Um, I would write letters, and I wrote letters to Lefty McFadden and Warren Back and and Pat Rupp, you know, explaining who I was. Uh, and, you know, thank heavens for my brother because, you know, fortunately that, that tie to say, hey, my brother named the gems, particularly with the, with the old timers, was really a key to getting their attention. And usually when I sent a letter to them, they were really great about responding. Um, and it was always a thrill for me to have these guys call me back and they'd say, hey, you know, why don't we meet for lunch or why don't we meet for breakfast? I remember meeting Lefty McFadden for breakfast over on uh, the Bob Evans on at Woodman Drive in 35, and it was just an incredible thrill for me to do that. But, you know, the, the original concept of the book was about the gems. And you know what? It's like a lot of things in life. I mean, I, I collected all this data. You know, you've got that stack of programs next to you. I knew so much about the team, and you know what? It just kind of—it didn't die. It just kind of went on hiatus or life support. Yeah. Um, and a few years ago, in fact, I remember it was 2013. Um, I was I was with my girlfriend, and we were at the Walgreens at Water of Elite and and um, uh, Smithville Road. And I saw these books by Arcadia Publishing that, you know, they were in the magazine section. And I said to her, um, I said, you know, I've got all this material about the gems and I worked on it for so long. Either I'm going to do something with it or I'm going to burn it. 
I'm going to put it out by the curb and the, and the garbage man can take it away and I'm going to erase it off all my little three and a half inch floppy disks and because that, you know that's what I had it on. And I, I remember writing a letter to Arcadia, um, pitching the book, and it was supposed to be about the gems. And they came back and said, hey, um, we usually don't do something about one team, which, as I found out, well, you know, it may be true, may not be true. We'd, we would rather take a, a broader subject like hockey in Dayton. Do you think you could write something about the history of hockey in Dayton? And I'm like, you know, Oh, sure. Yeah, that's not going to be a problem, which, you know, their their model is is photograph based with captions. Um, and I said, yeah, I don't think that would I don't think that would be much of a problem. Well, do you think you come up with anywhere from 180 to 220 pictures? And again, I'm like, oh, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem thinking at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that would be a problem. You know, I can probably get to 40 or 50, but that's a lot uh, of pictures. It is a lot of pictures. Um but I told them, yeah, um, and I had to submit a draft to them. And a couple months later, they came back and said, your book is approved. Um, and then I worked on it. <laughs> um, you know, I gave them a timeline of, of like maybe a year later, which I found out was a little bit too aggressive because I talked to other authors and, and they said, you know, usually two to three years is the you know, is the time frame that you want to want to work with. So I, I, I put myself under a little extra pressure. Yeah. Um, you know, but fortunately, Lee, I mean, I, I had already established contacts with a lot of people. Now, like the section on Troy, yeah, I had no idea where to go. You know, but you, you start to figure that stuff out um, that – Okay, you find out, okay, what players are still around. I'm going to go to the players. Okay, what libraries are there? I'm going to go to the libraries. And then, at least as far as Troy goes, I spent an incredible amount of time in the, in the um, Troy Public Library. They have a, they have a, uh, a history office, you know, with uh, copies of the Troy Daily News going back a long time. And I spent, I spent a lot of time driving back and forth to Troy, um, putting that section together but i know we're, we're probably getting a, a little bit ahead but that you know the the the, the book kind of yeah it just kind of um you know it it morphed from dayton gems to i got to do something with this so it became a broader hockey and dayton piece but it really became easy for me to do at least from the gems and the bombers section because i grew up on those I mean, I mean that was you know that that was ingrained in me. So you throw a picture in front of me about Don Westbrook or Mike Sauter or Rick Bragnello or Steve Self, or, I mean, I, you know, I knew where to go with it already. Or even with the Bombers, I mean, I knew where to go with it because as an adult, I was a you know I was a Bombers fan. So the Troy section was really the that was the challenge. But that's the section I really really found fascinating. I'm still fascinated with the Troy Bruins and hockey back in the 1950s in in troy ohio it's hard to believe that hockey doesn't start in dayton with the gems it actually started a while back in troy right which is not the major city that people think about when they come to this area it's mainly dayton absolutely and springfield and cincinnati of course yep. but troy ohio is big in its own and hobart arena it it looks amazing. Have you seen the renovations they've I, done? Very I, I haven't been up there in a couple. Of, I haven't been up there in a couple of years. But you know, the building is almost 
70 years old now. It's, a, it's, it's 60, 69 years old now. And, and Troy has just had this commitment to that building. And it's an incredible building to watch a hockey game. And, you know, I don't care if, the, if there are pillars in there or not. I mean, you're close to the action. The, the ice surface is, okay, it's not a 200 by 85. It's a, I, think it's, I, think it's one, I think it's 190 by 85. Yeah, it's a little bit A little uh, bit smaller, shorter. yeah. yeah. But it's a it's a great. I mean, again, like, kind of like Hera, you're you're on top of the action. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just all there in front of you, and um, you know, I, it, yeah, I I just I I just I just love Troy's um, uh, commitment to to Hobart and that building. It's I mean, it's a it's a centerpiece of that uh, of that community. And I've always said, God, I wish I guess wish we could take I wish we could take Hobart Arena, dig it up. Maybe clone it and plop it down somewhere around Fifth Third Field, uh, and and let's play hockey in downtown Dayton. I always thought uh, Guggen Arena would be really nice to do Absolutely. that Miami U's uh, rink. Yep. But just if you go on page twelve in the book and mm-hmm. page thirteen, you just see Hobart Arena, and you think this place still looks like it was just built. I mean, Troy, Ohio takes very very good care of it, and. Troy has this hockey holiday tournament, the Miami Valley Freeze. Right. Go. I, I I tell you, go. It's good it's good competition and you definitely won't regret it. I, mean, I, I, I don't think there is a building in a uh, a building like it in a town the size of Troy in this country. And I think Ken Seiler is still the general manager up at um up at Hobart and Ken is just Ken's committed to He's committed to the building. He's committed to to hockey. You know, he's a he's a hockey fan. And a lot of the drawings that I used in the book, um, Ken was was able to offer them up to me and say, here, you know, you know, take what you you know, take what you want. We have all of these archives, you know, look through them. And, you know, I would walk home with, you know, with these. um uh, you know, these, these paper boxes, you know, like reams of paper that you, you know, you get it off as depot or whatever, full of stuff, you know, from them or from, really from anybody. Um, and I, you know, and I dug through them. Uh, a lot of the pictures that came in the Troy section came from, um, a former player, one of the first players that the Bruins had, uh, uh, um, Bill Murphy, um, you know, uh, you know, Bill had scrapbooks of his time with, uh, you know, with the, um, you know, with the Bruins and, you know, between that and the, the, uh, history library in Troy, um, and Hobart arena, you know, I was able to, I was able to piece that section together because as I found out the Troy daily news, um, they got rid of their, they got rid of all the hockey pictures when they moved locations. And I was like, Oh my heavens. I mean, that would have been a gold mine, but fortunately, I mean, some of the pictures in there, and I didn't use I didn't use everything that Bill had, uh, or the history library had, or or Hobart Arena, but you know, I had enough there to you know to cobble something together, and and I'm certainly not cheapening it cheapening it uh, by by saying cobbling, but these pictures are great. I mean, these are rare pictures. These are you know, these pictures are 65, 70 years old, and gives a different view of hockey that you have now with the you know with its you know, polished presentation and, you know, Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby. I mean, this is, this is raw hockey in the, you know, in the 1950s where you didn't have, you know, players didn't wear helmets and they didn't wear face shields, you know, the, you know, it was, um, 
you know, and a lot of places and a lot of the arenas, uh, you know, glass didn't go all the way around. I mean, this was, I mean, this was hockey, how it was played back then. Or in Hair Arena's case, didn't the first glass, wasn't that just chicken wire that they hung up? Uh, yep. There's there's a picture I want to point out. It's on page 18 of the book, and yeah. this is taken December 17th, 1950. Mm-hmm. Now, as you might know, nowadays we have cameras on our phones, and we could take pictures of anything that's, you know, right in front of us. And yep. back then, you know, I don't know how big the cameras were. certainly weren't, you know, back then. But just like, this picture of the Toledo Mercury's versus Miami Valley Bruins game, Bill Murphy taking a spill, that's just – that's amazing. It's like the photographers right on the ice, and this is the time where they're not wearing helmets, and yep. the uh, referees donning what seems to be a really fancy sweater. Kind of right. looks, it kind of looks like the Florida Gators logo, <laughs> or maybe maybe a Dayton Owls logo. But yeah, uh, it's just it's amazing to go back and look and see, you know, hockey before helmets and hockey before all these regulations, and just going back to. The simpler time back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think you're. I, th- I, th- I think you hit the. I think you hit the the nail on the head. It, it, you know. And I don't. I don't know if it's. Um, as I was talking, I, I I told you I, was, I came back from Las Vegas on Saturday night, and I was talking to a, a guy who's a, a big, um, um, Las Vegas uh, Knights fan, and I said, you know. I think what separates hockey from all the other major sports, I mean, and it starts, in fact, I talked to, told you I saw Sid Garan on Saturday. We talked about this as well, is that, you know, there's just this, there's this mystique about hockey and it starts with where these kids, a lot of these kids grow up in these faraway small towns of, you know, Saskatchewan or Manitoba or, or British Columbia, you know, Sid Grant was from Flin Flon, and, uh, you know, Warren Back was from Medicine Hat. I mean... That's still the greatest name yeah, in town, Medicine Hat. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Three Rivers and St. Catharines, and, and, you know, there's just something different about... There's just something different that stands out about hockey that is different from baseball, football, and, and basketball. And I think it's it starts with that, you know, these kids... For, it's almost like the... It's almost like the Canadian version of Hoosiers, you know. The you know those kids grew up in Milan, Indiana, you know, and you know Indiana has this this mystique about basketball and it's small town, probably like you know here in Ohio, you know, it's um, yeah. it's uh, Marion Local and Maria Stein and Minster and Colt. I mean, these you know these little small towns and hockey's kind of the same way. And when you 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 know, I think those those pictures, I think, also kind of capture that that simplicity and starkness of, of hockey, you know, back in, you know, particularly back in the 1950s, because as, as somebody pointed out, hockey was, hockey was really provincial back then. It was, you know, it was a Northern United States sport. You know, it was the, you know, it was the Northeast. It was, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and then it was, then it was Canadian. So there was kind of a, 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 a mystery about it, but I find those I find those black and white photos from the 1950s. Um, and, and again, I mean, I could only use so much. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, those pictures are fascinating. And just some of the history you mentioned, Bill Murphy helping mm-hmm. you out, and you give credit to 
all the pictures through here. His yep. brother Ron, part of the some of the original six teams, yep. and also playing online with Phil Esposito, Ken Hodge, Ken Hodge, yeah, I mean, Boston in you know for the Boston Bruins, absolutely, yeah. When people say that Dayton is not a sports town, you know that's just ignorance at best because there's a lot of history through there, and yes. You might be right. Pro hockey in Dayton might not happen for a while. Maybe not ever. I don't know. I can't see the future, so don't ask me about lottery numbers. Right. But you just look through all this history, and there's a lot of greatness that's in this soil, and that's in Troy's blood, and it's it's amazing. You know, I I I don't know if I I um, in the um, you know in the lectures or the workshops I've done about the book. Um, I don't know if I've, I've ever told the story. Just give me just a minute to, to tell us. This was back in 1995, um, and I was in Toronto. I was working for Huffy at the time, and I, I piggybacked uh, um, some research at the Hockey Hall of Fame Resource Center um, with this trip to Toronto. I was making for for Huffy because we had you know we had some we had some uh, people up there, and I'm like, okay, I'll kill two birds with one stone. And I got to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I met Phil Pritchard, who is the who is the guy with the white gloves who mm-hmm. every year brings the Stanley Cup out. He's a, just a really, really nice guy who gave me, after hours, a personal tour of the Hall of Fame and then said, hey, i got to go back downstairs, so go ahead and knock yourself out and walk around uh, and just come downstairs when you're done. Uh, he took me through the, the, the hall of... Um, the Hall of Trophies, and you know, I got to hold up the Vezina and everything else, and it was nobody else around. It was it was really cool. Um, but while I was in Toronto, uh, the Maple Leafs were at home, and they were playing the Washington Capitals, and I I managed to buy a ticket from a scalper on the street and went to the game that night. And I was sitting at, at Maple Leaf Garden in the third, in the first row of the third deck. Um, and it was a really nice place. I mean, it was the Maple Leaf Garden was really nice. And I was sitting next to this couple, uh, and we were just talking about stuff. And uh, and the uh, the the wife uh, turned to me and said, "You know, you're not from Toronto, are you?" I said, "No." I said, "I'm I'm from Ohio." Oh, where are you from in Ohio? And I said, "Dayton." I was a Dayton Gems fan, and she immediately looked at me and said, "Oh, we loved Guy Trache." You know, and, and there's just been so many times over the years. I mean, you know, so-and-so played in Dayton. Or I remember the Gems, or I remember the Bombers, or, you know, yeah, I went to a game at Hera Arena. I mean, Dayton, and I don't mean this in a bad way, Dayton had this notoriety for, for you know, for hockey, be it Hera Arena or the players that came out of, you know, uh, you know of Dayton, whether they, they remained in the IHL or went to the NHL. Um, you know, Dayton had a had a great reputation as being a hockey town. There are tons of hockey fans here. Absolutely, yeah. There's some of the greatest people you can meet. Oh, you know, absolutely, absolutely. And if if you, you know, if if you, uh, I remember interviewing Bud Ginger when I was just doing some some stringer work for the Beaver Creek Daily News, probably 20 plus years ago. And I agreed with Bud. You know, the former owner of the Bombers. Bud said. You know what? You come out to a game one time and you watch this, you're going to be hooked. And I and I believe most people who come to a game, you know, um, particularly if you're watching out of Hare Arena. I mean, yeah. on a Friday or Saturday, you know, Saturday night against you know Toledo or or you know what, you were hooked, man. I mean, it was, you I mean it was great, you know, it was great. You mentioned Guy Trache, and it, it brought a smile to my. Face because mm-hmm. I actually got to see Guy Truchet's, what is it, 
grandson play youth hockey for Stealth and Benoit. Mo Benoit. Mo Benoit. Yeah. His grandson was on one of the teams I covered at South Metro Sports, which, right. by the way, thank you, Nick Poe. But, yeah, just seeing some of the names, and I learned this stuff from the fans, and I learned this from you, and I learned it from the book. I'm like, I'm covering a Royal Hockey Bloodline in Dayton, Ohio, and I don't know how many people outside the, you know, the – Hockey fans that are dedicated, I don't know how many people actually know that. No, I, I no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there have been, there have been so many, so many great names uh, that that have that have played here. You know, um, you know, Moe's obviously one played on the 1960 uh, Canadian Olympic hockey team. You know, you know, Guy was here and 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 played in the you know played in the NHL. Pat Rupp. Uh, played on the '64 and '68, you know, United States Olympic hockey teams. Gordy Lane played with the Gems in the, you know, the mid 1970s, and I think he won four Stanley Cups with the New York Islanders when they were there, you know, the dynasty of the late. Before the Gordon's Fisherman logo. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> it's I, lo- I love that logo. I actually like the Lighthouse Alternative logo, but that's that's not important. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, there, you know. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, of the Bombers, you, know, you talk about Darren Langdon, uh, who had a long career, you know, particularly with the New York Rangers, you know, playing with Wayne Gretzky in the late, the late 19, uh, the late 1990s. I mean, there's so many good players that have, you know, that have, have played here. And I think that really escapes a, a lot of people that, uh, you know, the, 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 the you know the talent the the level of talent that has that has come through here over the years these weren't guys that just you know came here played a, you know but of course it's like anything yeah sure there are those but you know just like you know you know just like players that you know pass through with the dragons yeah. uh, that that go to Cincinnati there were plenty of guys that played with the gems and you know gems and the bombers who ended up playing. Um, you know, in the National Hockey League, hell, even with the Bruins, uh, you know, the one that comes to mind right up is uh, Gilles Villemur, who had a long career as a goalie with the um, with the New York Rangers back in the late '60s and early 1970s. Gilles Villemur, you know, spent a short time in Troy. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right, Lee. I mean, there, there's, you know, there's been some really, really good players that have come through come through Dayton and played. You mentioned players, too, and actually I turned to the page talking about the trade to get Guy Trajet into yeah. Dayton from Port Huron. Yep. I mean, it was a nice trade, I mean, for Dayton and also for Tommy Clark. He got to be closer to his mother's home, Yep. whereas, you know, Dayton gets 185 goals scoring in Trajet. <laughs> That's right. Whereas Clark ended up scoring 43 goals in the next three seasons. So you tell me who won that trade. Yeah. But uh, the first coach for the Bombers actually made his way up to the NHL ranks. Columbus Blue Jackets, I believe. Claude Noel. Yep, Claude Noel. First Bombers coach. Winnipeg Jets first coach. Well, the 2.0 Jets. Yep. Um, didn't last too long in Winnipeg, but still. I was talking to a, a, a guy I work with um, who's also a big hockey fan, and, and somehow Claude Noel's name came up. And, God, I mean, it's it's probably been four years, three years, four years since I talked to Claude Noel. He was, you know, the first uh, Bombers coach from 91 to 93. He, he was just he was just the nicest, nicest guy. And he had been coaching, I think, in Roanoke before he came to Dayton. And he was so stoked to come to Dayton. 
he loved Hera. He thought Hera was the he thought Hera was the best place aside from you know he played in Toledo, so he knew what a good arena was because he played in the sport the old sports arena. And if you never had the pleasure of of watching a game in the sports arena, that was a you know that was truly an experience. But Claude Noel loved Hera. You know he loved the layout. He loved that the fans were you know were on top of. Um, we're on top of the play. And he, you know, he, he told me, he goes, you know, that first year back in 91, 92, you know, they were an okay team, a little bit above, a little bit above 500. He learned that year watching it that he's like, you know what, if I'm going to be successful, you know, here the second year, he goes, I need a big team and I need a tough team who is going to use the size of the Hera rink and the way it was built, because you know that, Hera was not built for hockey. Hockey was an afterthought. Yeah. So the way the boards were built, the boards were built into the into the sidewalls and the concrete, uh, unlike what you have in you know arenas these days. So if you get checked into the boards now, you have give in the boards. You didn't have that at Hera because you had concrete behind the boards. And I always remember watching watching games at Hera that if we sat down in section eighteen, you know, opposite where the teams came out. If somebody got run into the boards, you know, down opposite end, you just heard this distinctive boom, you know, because, I mean, that that sound carried and there was no give. The boards were higher because they had to cover they had to cover the concrete. So Claude Noel was like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to build a big team. And that team that second year was astonishingly good through the, the first part of the season. And then they just got they got decimated by, you know, they got decimated by call ups, you know. Mark Lawrence, who ended up in the National Hockey League, got called up. Mike Ryer got called up. Um, other guys got Sandy Galupo was the goalie. Uh, uh, you know, he got called up. They were really good that second year. Uh, you know, he ended up starting to starting to fill holes. Darren Langdon was on that team. But, uh, you know, I have Claude Noel's interview on tape here, so I love talking to Claude Noel. I mean, he had nothing but great things to say about Dayton. I know he wasn't the coach of the Bombers for long. He only coached the first two seasons of mm-hmm. Dayton's yep. ECHL team. But do you think when he heard that Hare Arena was no longer the Bombers' home and they made it to Wright State's another center, do you think he kind of felt a little sadness about that? I, I think probably everybody was. I think anybody who was a player, um, you know, or, or a fan was. And, I, and I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of the Nutter Center and 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 all that all you know all that they do. And I understood what Bud and Arnie were, you know, what they were trying to do back then in terms of, in terms of growing the, you know, growing the sport. And, and you know, I, I don't know exactly what the dynamic was between, you know, Bud and, and I think Johnny Walker was the general manager of Hera Arena back then. But, you know, I understood what, what Bud and Arnie were, were trying to do to, to move. And there was... I know a lot of people don't know there was a there were there were there was supposed to be a second sheet of ice mm-hmm. that was built out at Wright State and that kind of fell through. That was going to be a practice building and a place for youth, you know, youth games. They wanted to grow youth. They could you know they could grow it bigger and and bigger and bigger and it it just never materialized. So I, I knew what they were trying to do, but I think everybody also knew that in leaving Hera, you sacrificed one thing. For another, um, John Seal, who was the general manager of the Nutter Center, uh, when they when the Bombers moved um, out in '96, 
was an uh, he started his career as an usher at Hera during Gems games back in the mid 1960s. John's a huge hockey fan. He always supported hockey, um, you know, be it at Hera or or out at uh, you know out in another center. And I, and I know he wanted nothing more than than hockey to uh, to succeed out there. But you know, again, I mean. Um, you know, I, th- I think you just kind of look at it in terms of when you where you look at the arenas of today. You know, you could take Nationwide or or the you know whatever they call it, the TD Garden in Boston, mm-hmm. or you know, or the Mobile, yeah, now in Vegas, yeah, or United Center in Chicago. You know, the, the United Center in Chicago is not the Chicago Stadium. No, no, you know, you know. TD Garden is not the Boston Garden. Mm-mm. The Joe or wherever they're playing this year in Detroit. Little Caesars. Yeah, is not the Olympia. I mean, old school Hare Arena or, or Hobart Arena or even those we talked before we went on about um, the Huntington Center in Toledo. I can guarantee yeah. you it's a nice place. It oh. ain't the Toledo Sports Arena. No. Nobody wanted to play in it. As a fan, I didn't even want to go to the Toledo Sports Arena because it intimidated me as a fan because the rink was only, I think, 185, 185 feet, so it's 15 feet shorter. And the 15 feet shorter has to be the neutral zone. It's not the blue lines in. It's the neutral zone. So your neutral zone, look, from my kitchen, from my kitchen to my living room. Yeah. And remember back then, Lee, you had the center line offside pass. You know, you mm. you had two line. You you couldn't do a two line pass back then. Now you can do the two line pass. So the game was different. It was you know it had to be crisper. In the sports arena, the the roof was so low, mm. and it sat about fifty two hundred. Uh, and when it was filled with with mostly Toledo fans, be it Storm or or back in the day the the Gold Diggers. Um, it was just it was insanely loud i mean just as a fan i can't imagine as a player and the players you know they sat in the crowd the visiting player because the the visiting bench was so short the players sat the visiting players sat in the crowd um because they didn't have any i can't imagine it was so intimidating for them as a, and as a fan i'm like i don't even want to sit in here I mean, it just it bothers me to sit in here. Acoustics. I mean, I wish another center had that type of acoustic. I mean, just drop the ceiling a little bit lower. I mean, be all right type of thing. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, Bombers teams became different in the Nutter Center than they were at Hera. They, you know, they became smaller. They became faster. You know, they became the the type of teams with uh, great players like Jamie Ling and and you know Sal Manganero and Brian Rodolfi. You know, and Colin Miller was, you know, Colin Miller was there for, I mean, it just, it, it, the, the style of play was, was different. Whereas you knew, and Claude Noel talked about it. And when I talked to Jim Playfair, Jim Playfair knew it as well that, you know, you had a distinct advantage in Hare Arena in that you had the crowd that was right there that was going to be on top of you. You had the smaller rink, you had the high boards, you know, the benches were, the benches weren't in the neutral zone. The benches were in, in well, yeah, your own zone. Yeah, you, they yeah. were in your own zone. I mean, it was just it was a it was a di- it was a different dynamic. Absolutely, that was that's old time hockey. It was. We're here with Chuck Gamebringer, episode number thirty nine of the Gem on the Queen's Crown. We're talking. We're talking Dayton hockey history. We're also talking about the book Hockey in Dayton. 
which my next question is this. Uh, you briefly touched on it about the Troy pictures, but uh-huh. throughout the Troy Bru- Miami Valley Bruins until the end of the book, what were some of your favorite sources that you had to go through for these pictures? Oh, man. I, I mean, it was, you know, it was always a good time. Um, Bill Murphy was, it was always a good time with Bill. I mean, Bill just being an old time hockey player, um, you know, Bill would just sit here and tell me stories, uh, you know, uh, about, you know, growing up playing hockey in the, in the, you know, the 19, the 1930s and the 1940s in, you know, in Canada and looking through his scrapbooks, um, and, and, you know, and again, working at the Troy Library and working with the people in Troy, I mean, it was just it was really, I mean, it was, it was, that was really special. I mean, it was to me, you know, but, you know, the source of, of a lot of the pictures um, came from uh, the archives out at Wright State and um, um, Don Dewey and Gino Posse. Um, it was actually really funny. We, I mean, it was a running joke for the better, oh, you know, better part of a year uh, as I worked on the book you know, because I was out there a couple days a week, um, that, you know, I, you know, I started by saying, Hey, can you give me pictures? Okay. Just give me pictures of the gems. And then it was, can you give me pictures of, and and let me just step back. The, the Dayton Daily News morgue files, the pictures that they no longer keep on site and yeah, on site or have not digitized were transferred out to right state. So they hadn't in these, these envelopes, you know, these manila envelopes or folders Mm -hmm. and um you know we started out with a few so that you know when i worked up the concept of the book um you know those were easy to get and i could write you know write captions that but as as we went on and i and i had the story mentally in in my head you know i would call gino or or dawn and say hey can you get me can you get me the folder on Bob Bailey, can you get me the folder on Pat Rupp? Can you get me the folder on Duncan Russo? Can you get me the folder on? And they had this cart, um, you know, it was like a book cart that you would see at the library, <laughs> and it just affectionately became known as the cart. Okay. And I would call Gino and say, Gino, I'm going to be out tonight because the archives were open on Wednesday night and then they were open on Sunday afternoons. And I would I would just call and I'd say. Gino, can you get the card out? I'll be out this afternoon. I didn't have to say anything. He just said, Gino, can you get the card out? And the cart was just full of things, full of pictures. Just, I mean, there it was just hundreds of pictures um, between all the folders uh, and the scrapbooks and, and such. Um, you know, so the, you know, uh, Kathy Rupp, uh, Pat Rupp's uh, wife, uh, provided a lot of the pictures in there. Um the interesting stuff really came to the Dayton Bombers. That became a challenge getting those because um, I had, you know, I had to track down the photographers, you know, because the, the Gems didn't have an official photographer and Troy didn't have a you know, official photographer. I mean, you know, I was able to, you know, piece that stuff together. Um, but Greg Wurzler was the photographer for the Bombers in the in the early years. Um, Melissa Tazar, um, became, she was the photographer in the middle years. Um, then Max Surikoff, um, who owns a, a photography studio here in town, he was, uh, Maxim Studios, 
Is he related to Slade Surikov? Oh, God. Slade is a hockey player for Springboro. You know, very well. I th- I th- I, yeah, maybe so, because I think, I think Max lives down that way. Yeah. And, and Max, uh, I think Max was from Massachusetts. Um, and he's a big hockey fan. So, the, you know, you know, when I was able to track down Greg and Melissa and, and Max, and then I picked, you know, pick some, uh, you know, other things up in between, you know, I was able to, I was able to, uh, you know, uh, piece together the again the the, the bombers the bomber story, um, and, and as I say, I, I've told people this on on many occasions that in the course of, of putting the I don't know I don't still can't remember exactly how many pictures I usually 182 184 pictures I looked through literally 18,000 plus pictures to put this together, but the majority of the pictures in the thousands came from Max Greg and Melissa. Um, Max and Greg were great because they, you know, I think Greg had his on, um, you know, negatives and 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 um, photo sheets. Max sent them to me on uh, Dropbox, so I looked through them all. And Melissa, Melissa had them all individually printed that she gave me probably like six or seven shoe boxes. So you're sitting at my kitchen table where probably literally for the better part of a year. I just had stuff spread out. And I had stuff spread out on the floor here, and I had stuff spread out on the floor here, and I had stuff taped to my walls here. You know, what's my layout? You know, I had I had index cards. Okay, what picture am I going to use here? What's the chapter here that I'm going to use? And I mean, you're sitting in the studio, <laughs> my kitchen, and back then, you know, my, my I think Joe was five or six. My son was five or six, and you know, he'd walk in, and I mean, I just had this stuff spread all over the place. It's got to be a lot of great hockey memories, though. It was. I mean, it was, and and um, you know, you know, as, as I like to tell people that, you know, Dayton uh, hockey in Dayton is a very linear story, his, you know, history of, of you know hockey in Dayton and hockey in the Miami Valley. You know, um, it, it's and great stuff made it to the book, but I, I mean. There's a lot of great stuff that didn't make it to the book. You know, it's kind of like the director's cut of a movie versus, you know, what actually made it to the theater because there's a lot of stuff that you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, get in there because, you know, the story was too long or maybe you didn't have a picture that, that matched that, you know, that particular fact or, you know, or whatever. So, you know, there was there was a lot of you know there were things that didn't make it that that I you know wished wouldn't have, have made it. You know, you look at the cover of the book. You know, Pat Rupp, Pat Rupp is uh, you know on the cover of the book, and that's the mm. that's the picture that was used for his picture in the original Dayton Hockey Hall of Fame. And and Kathy Rupp, um, when I think Kathy Rupp supplied that picture, she she told me you know Pat always used to laugh at that picture because it's got a Captain C on the you know, on his jersey, she's like, Pat was never a captain. <laughs> he just threw some, he threw some jersey on, and, you know, that's, you know, those are the, you know, what are whatever the, the, the press picks that they used um, or the program picks that they used, you know, back in the day. But they're just, I mean, there's just lots of stuff that never, lots of stuff that never made it to the book because I, I didn't have a picture or, you know, it just, you know, something didn't fit or the story was too long. I like the background picture used on the cover too because I can barely tell by the title Dayton 
that that's the new Wright State banners Correct. that hung up when I was in college. Yep. So that had to be close to the end of the run for the Bombers. Yep. And it's that, yeah, <laughs> that picture, I think, was the last – I want to say it was the last game of 2008, and that was one of the first pictures that I saw was one of Max Surikoff's pictures. And I told Max, I said, I want that for the cover because I just – I, I loved the the um, uh, the angle of the picture, which was um, looking out from the you know the the one end where the you know it was during the national anthem. You got a you got a a, a visual of the rink. You got a visual of the crowd, and I don't know if you know whatever the background or the ghosting of the of the cover was. Um, I just thought it was I thought it was a really really good background to go and back a Pat Rupp. And then, I mean, you know, to to finish the hat trick, if you will, on the back cover, I had a picture of Bill Murphy. So I had the I, I wanted to represent all three teams, you know, the three core teams. So I had the the uh, you know the Bruins on the back. Uh, obviously, the the gems in in my humble opinion, the core of, of Dayton hockey's history. But also had the Bombers on the front. So I captured all three of them. I would think, you know, my generation would be the Bombers, mm-hmm. you know, just because you know that's the team that was around when. You know, I was alive. Sure. But you're right. Gems really got it underway for Dayton. I mean, no offense to the Bruins, but, you know, when you think hockey in Dayton, you think gems. You think gems. And, and, you know, there's a, and not only do you think gems, you think of a period of the gems, uh, which would have been the late 1960s. So start, actually start in 60, 66. And they went to, um, over the next, I think, for the next five years, so starting in 66, 67, 67, 67. So sorry, I didn't mean to show off for people there, like, you know, counting. But uh, four, four of five years from 1966 to 70, the Gems made it to the Turner Cup finals, which was, you know, which was, you know, the championship finals. They won two, uh, and they lost two. They they won back-to-back in 69, 68, 69, and 69, 70. Um, you know, and the, the, the crowds... You know the the crowds from from sixty six to seventy. I mean the you know the gems. Uh, you know they averaged you know forty three, forty four, forty five hundred. You know a game at at Hare Arena. You know they played on Sunday afternoons. They didn't play on. They Lefty didn't believe on playing on Saturday nights. He didn't want to fight high school basketball for a crowd. Makes sense. Yeah. So he played on Sunday afternoons, and those Sunday afternoon tickets were hard to get because the gems would be on the road on Saturday night. They'd be home for a Sunday afternoon at three o'clock game, and those three o'clock games started after after New Year's. And those those games were hard to get tickets, and and you just look consistently Sunday afternoon fifty three hundred fifty four hundred in Hare Arena fifty three hundred fifty four fifty five sold out sold out sold out sold out. Um, it, you know it was it was such a different such a different vibe. Um, you know, probably for the exception of the mid seventies when um, the Gems in in seventy seventy six won the Turner Cup with that team. I think that had eight or nine. No, actually, I think ten guys that made it to the made it to the the National Hockey League. Um, but really, I mean, if if I look at you know, if I look at the heyday of Dayton hockey in Dayton hockey's history, I look at two periods. I look at maybe nineteen sixty seven to nineteen seventy when the Gems were so successful. And then I look at 1992 to 1995 when, okay, the Bombers didn't win championships, but they were pretty good, and the crowds were there at Hare Arena. You'd go to Saturday night, good luck on getting a seat, you know, good luck, good luck on trying to get a ticket on Saturday night. You were getting 5,500 at Hare Arena, and it was, 
it was, you know, it was insane. It was a zoo. It was a, it was a great experience. I remember, let me tell you this story. I remember the first night the Bombers played the Bombers' very first home game, I think it was like October, I don't know, October 26, 27, 1991. And remember that when I grew up with the Gems, attendance was starting to wane because the economy in Dayton was not very good. So if, if you got over 3,000 a game, you were lucky. But that first Bombers game drew a little bit short of 4,200. It was on a Friday night. I think they played the Raleigh Ice Caps, and you know they, they, they whipped them pretty good, like 11 to 4, 11 to 5, something like that. And I remember my dad, I was sitting next to my mom and dad, and I, I looked at my dad, and you know there are 4,200 or so fans in Hare Arena, which was really cool. And I said, wow, this is really neat. And he looked at me, he said, it used to be like this all the time. And I just thought that was so neat. And as you as you kind of migrated through those early years of the gems at Hare Arena, I mean, you know, the the Wednesday night games, you know, didn't draw very well. But in, in truth, I mean, a lot of Wednesday night games for the gems back in the day didn't draw very well. But those things, you know, when you had 4,000, 4,500, 5,000 in Hare, man, that was fun. Going back to what you were saying, October 25th, 1991, uh-huh. 4,152 people, and it was 11-2 Dayton where Jackson Penny scored four goals. Jackson and, Penny. And Colburn had a hat trick of his own. So yep. that's seven goals between the two gents. Yeah, dead-eye Darren Colburn. I think he had six, I think he had 69 goals that, that first year with the Bombers. That's insane. Yeah, uh, he, Darren, Der, Derek Crawford and Mike Ryer played. They were the number one line for the Bombers that year, and they had an insane number of points between them like three like 320 points between them and mike ryer was a you know mike ryer was a a, a really good centerman who i think we eventually put uh mike ryer in the dayton hockey hall of fame and darren colburn was a great scorer and Derek crawford was the you know he could score a goal but he was the enforcer on that line he protected both darren colburn and and, and mike ryer it was just a that, that first year was fun with the Bombers because the Gems had been gone for 11 years and 12 years, and hockey was ready to come back. And I don't know if anybody knew it, and I think I pointed it out in the book, that Bud and Arnie actually wanted to go to Troy first. Um, and the ECHL said that Hobart was too small, so they landed at, they landed at Hera. And it was just, you know, those, those first years at Hera, I mean, they were Fun. I mean, it was the, the atmosphere was fun. You couldn't get a ticket, so you no. know people were going to those games. No. Yep. Um, Any more ECHL would look at Hair Arena if it was still, you know, a functional place, and they say, "No, that's too small." So you think about back in the early '90s, late '80s, when yeah. they're looking, Hair Arena was perfect. But nowadays, Hair Arena wouldn't be half of what ECHL needs. That and what one million, two million for. The uh, franchise fee. Oh yeah, and and you know back again back in the day when when uh, when the bombers came to town, you know you had um, you know the bombers played at Hera, the Columbus Chill still played at the old State Fairgrounds Coliseum, which you know old you know uh, Dayton Gem Steve Self called you know the State Fairgrounds Coliseum nothing but a barn with ice. Um, literally, I mean, and if you've ever been there, I mean, that's it's the state, it, a yeah, it is it's, a barn the, with ice. It's a fairground. It's the state of Ohio. Yeah. But it was, you know, for the teams that all the Columbus teams that played there, be it the, uh, you know, the old checkers back in the, back in the, um, uh, late sixties or the Columbus owls in the, in the mid seventies or the Columbus chill, you know, it was an intimidating place to play The the storm played in the sports arena. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the Cyclones played in the old Cincinnati Gardens. The Bombers played in Hera Arena. I mean, these, you know, the Johnstown Chiefs still played in the old Cambria County War Memorial, famous from Slapsh. I mean, these were these were old these were old hockey barns. It's shame to think that Johnstown doesn't have their team anymore. Right. It's shame to think that the Gardens is now rubble. Right. I mean, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the yeah, updates. Yeah, yeah. Saw the pictures. Saw the pictures. Yeah. It's. it's I, I don't agree with it, what they're doing, but it, whatever. Yeah, it's it's you know it, it it's sad you know as I was explaining to you that uh, you know the gardens was the gardens was a fun place to you know it was a, a fun place to watch a, a hockey game. It was an old time barn in the in the tradition of you know it was a little bit bigger. It sat about ten thousand, so it was more in the tradition of the you know back then the NHL uh, you know the NHL arenas like the you know the Olympia or the Chicago Stadium or the Montreal you know the Montreal Forum or Toronto or Toronto uh, or I'm sorry, Maple Leaf Gardens, you know, I mean, it was just, but it was a, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a, uh, just a, a well laid out, well designed uh, rink that again, I mean, if you were a visiting team or a spectator, I didn't like going in there, man. And- <laughs> the way a lot of people probably didn't like coming into hair arena. They're like, I want to yeah. come in here. <laughs> We're actually getting on to my next question. We're talking about all these old barns. Now we're talking about the current state of local hockey. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned earlier in this episode, Dayton is without a pro hockey team. And Dayton had a junior hockey team fold earlier on the season. So right now you have high school hockey. You can go to Columbus, watch NHL and Blue Jackets, or you can you know watch them collapse in the playoffs again. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you ever seen Major League. I think that's Major League, where the fan blacks out some of the Indians' logo's teeth. I would be that fan with the blue jackets. <laughs> it's like, nope. Uh, you can go ECHL Cincinnati. There's Indianapolis now. With the Fuel, ECHL. yeah. Yep, Indy Fuel. They have a really good uh, youth hockey program brewing up. Well, them and the Indy Racers, too. They still have a youth hockey program with the old classic Racers logo. Yeah, the old the old Racers from the, oh, from I, the mid-90s. I remember watching them on... On cable, it was W Channel Four WTTV mm. in Indianapolis when they played at Mark when they played at Market Square Arena. That was the Pacers' home too. That's yeah. now their CBS affiliate uh, TTV. I WTTV, believe. yeah. Man, just just think about that. But I don't know if you've been seeing the updates of Hair Arena. Yeah, uh, it's a new owner. But the last video I shared on Facebook, which is April twenty eighth. From South Central Indiana Paranormal Research Organization. Don't know if that's a real organization or not. I just shared it. They're going through Hair Arena. They're one of, what, three or four people? Well, four groups of people that are breaking in. That's what they're technically doing. It's private, pro- it's private property, after all. They run into meth cookers. And they see wow. all the damage and just yeah, it was it was kind of scary. I, I fast forward through it. And I'm, there's a couple parts of like, is that a real person or you just seen your own shadow type of thing? But right. uh, oh, that's fine. I've done worse. Um, it's hair arena's in a really bad shape, and there's this new owner that has bought the property. He is Michael Heights, I believe. H e i t z. He's from Kentucky. Louisville, I believe, and the big thing he does, buys property, gets them shovel ready. 
Now, Chuck, when I say shovel ready, what does that mean to you? Well, Sean, I think uh, I, I looked at it. What you know, I looked at it the other way. That I don't know if they're going to, if they're going to raise the in, entire facility, um, maybe parts of it, maybe keep the arena because I think the arena, <clears throat> excuse me, in in Dayton's environment has value. Um, uh, I, I certainly hope. Because as it stands right now, I don't hold out a lot of hope for for um, city or county officials to, you know, to find the money for. Yeah, that's just. I mean, that's just sad. I was just showing Chuck a picture of. Uh, it looks like just a con. Maybe the concourse on the north. Is that concourse on the north side of the arena? Maybe. I feel like that's. I thought it was underneath the media row, but I okay. think it's on the other side because Jim Motti had a live stream earlier today, and he was he was he was legally allowed to. The owner said go for it, and he couldn't get past this. It's. Left of where the pro shop used to be for Dayton. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, so it's on the east. Okay. So it'd be it, the east side of the arena. Okay. It, it would be on the least commonly sat side. That was a great sentence. No, but uh, not on the media row side. So it would other be. Other side. Yeah, yeah. The other yeah, side. Okay. That side. It's okay. Just, this is from a Twitter user, Jumbo Jeff 16 and he actually took a couple of tweets. And here is what center ice would look like. And it is dark. The American flag is still hanging from the rafters at the yeah. arena. That is probably the one thing that the Vandals have yet to touch. Well, yeah, I think the you know if if the arena and the seating area are you know remain intact, I mean they really haven't they haven't torn the arena up. Mm-mm. So your ice plan is is still there. You know your superstructure is still intact. You know the garbage in the in the concourse and the garbage in the back rooms. Yeah, you can it's... you can cl- you can clean that. You can clean that stuff up. So I, I'm I'll be really curious to see what their what their plan is. I mean I I think there is there is use for the arena. I mean now, you know the North Exhibition Hall and the East Exhibition Hall and the Ball Arena. I mean maybe you keep the Ball Arena because of you know because of you know, historical, you know, historical relevance. Um, I hope they keep it and I hope they refurbish it. I mean, with the purposes of maybe you get, I don't know if you get an ECHL team back, but, you know, maybe you get a, a Southern, a Southern league team in, or I don't even know what the, I don't even know what the, uh, um, you know what the tier structure is in minor league, you know, hockey now is. It's, it's still pretty much the same since, uh, we were the last to leave the press row because we had the last broadcast I remember. of Demolition Hockey. And yep. I couldn't believe that was my last one. I was sad. But I, I disagree on this, and I feel like – Think they're going to take it down? Yeah, because, again, you have that huge chunk of rows. I think Jim Otte said, what, three or four rows that, were, that fell? I mean, the scoreboard's wrecked, so you're going to have to buy a new one of those if right. you want. Uh, there's a lot of there was a lot of mold up in the press row. I mean, you had a lot of ceiling tiles with black in them, right, especially right. around the fans. So, uh, my girlfriend keeps bringing up the fact that if they do tear it down, they're going to have a lot of fun with that and the best as asbestos too. Because sure. remember, it's a '50s building, right? Um, I I 
I I hate to say this because I want to see Hair Arena back. I like to see the, the. You don't get arenas like Hair Arena anymore. It's, no, it's all. I don't want to say cookie cutter, but it, it feels like you want more seats. You want get people in. There's. There's yeah. not a lot of individuality. Well, no, as, as they say, I mean, now the you know the modern days arena, they, you know, they build them, you know, out. They they build them out and up. Um, you know, you're further away from the action. You know, um, you know, rinks like Hera and, and buildings like Hera. I mean, they were, you know, they were close and you know they were close and up. Um, so I, you know what I. I uh, again, I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm the eternal optimist. I, I I hope that, you know, I hope that they find a way to save the the arena structure and do something with the arena structure because I think, you know, again as we were talking about before we went on, the the scarcity of ice in the Dayton area, you could certainly do something with that. And if you wanted to piggyback, you know, uh, you know, a minor league team at at some level there. You know, you 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 know, you got to figure out what your ownership, uh, you know, what your ownership wants in terms of you know, you know, profit loss and you know what your, you know, but but maybe maybe Dayton's ready for maybe Dayton's ready for another foray into minor league hockey because it's been what? Uh, it's been two three seasons now. Yeah, that uh, I've I've been covering Centerville High School hockey. Yeah, actually, I got another picture to show you. This one, if you want to see it. Uh, listeners, it's Ethan WDTN, so that's the NBC affiliate, and he found a coffee cup with the old uh, Channel Two News logo when it was an ABC affiliate. <laughs> this <laughs> is this is uh, when Hearst sold uh, DTN and kept Channel Five in Cincinnati because wow, uh, I forget that. what rule it was, but that's not important. But yeah, old coffee cup with the old Channel Two uh, logo on there. Look at that. Oh, I, I love talking about old stuff like that. I don't know why. I'm a nerd. But I, f- I feel like this guy is more interested in the acreage because that's, what, 125 with the golf course? With the golf course. I mean, and, but, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, that's the, you know, that's the, it's the, age, we, it's the age we live in now where, you know, everything is a. Tear it down, yeah. build new again. Everything, yeah, and everything's a, you know, most everything's a business proposition. But, you know, we'll see. I mean. You know, again, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take the eternal optimist position and go. You know, you can take down everything else, but let's keep the arena and let's dump some money into the arena. Let's see if there are city funds from Trotwood or if there are state funds that, that are available that you know will will allow you to you know pave a new parking lot and and build a new press box. Maybe put some suites in there and and you know let's you know let's see what we can let's see what we can do. I'm taking the pessimist route. I feel like Hair Arena is too far gone. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like he wants the space. If this was in any part other than Trotwood, because Trotwood is used to be so nice, and now it's not. Salem Mall's gone. Sears is gone. Everything there except fast food's gone. I mean, Cub Foods had their last store there. That's gone. I miss Cub Foods. Well, I'll tell you, I remember, uh, I remember being a kid. You know, six or seven, eight years old, going out to. Going out to Salem Mall, and there was a long before, long before uh, Toys R Us. There was a, there was a, mm. uh, it was a, uh, a franchise. It was called Children's Palace. Yeah, and, and it was there on Shiloh Springs. If you went, if you passed Hare Arena, Children's Palace was on the right hand side, just before you got, 
to the Salem Mall. Um, you know, and it's been years since Children's Palace went, but it might be if it's right before the mall, it might be where that bus stop is now. Could be, you I know. I mean, if we're talking the right area, you know, and you know, so much has changed on the, you know, on the. Well, I mean, so much has changed on every part of you know town. I mean, we're in Washington Township. I mean, you know, this used to be rural. I mean, when I was in high school at Wayne back in the early mid nineteen eighties, I mean, you come down here. And if you were any place south of Spring Valley, it was nothing but farm. Now it's yeah, I mean it's it's houses almost it's <laughs> it's houses almost literally to seventy three now. I mean, think about it too. I mean, Austin Landing's building up, so yeah. really that farmland that was on seven forty one, that's gone because yeah. Springboro's building there by Dorothy Lane Market. I mean, Austin Landing's building, which uh, later topic. Uh, about an arena, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, I was going to bring that up, but yeah, we can table that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll save that for uh-huh. close to the end type of thing. Sure. I do, I do want to talk about that. But you just look. I mean, you have so many areas that are growing up. You have so many areas that are being torn down. I mean, downtown Dayton, I mean, they're finally doing some of the arcade after, what, years and years and years? The, I, d- downtown Dayton is really, I mean, uh, you know, just over the past six or you know six or eight years, I mean, there's been some really, really good stuff going down there. I mean, PNC is dumping a lot of money into downtown. You have the waterfront developing development with the condos. Um, you know, CareSource has put a lot of money into you know into their buildings. You know, that east side of East Third Street and Fifth Street there kind of east northeast of the of the uh, Oregon district. I mean, that's I mean, some really really good stuff going on downtown now. Delco Lots is in the old Mendelssohn's yeah, building and Yeah, a great, a great example, a great example. I was walking out from the last high school game I worked. It was Springfield versus Tippecanoe, and I was walking with the voice of the Springfield Wildcats, uh, Mike Cooper, and we were talking about if you have the right apartment at Delco Lots, which they're pricey but if you have the right apartment you can just watch the dragons play you yeah. don't you don't need a ticket just watch them play from there yeah you know when i was growing up those were old abandoned delco and frigid air buildings mm-hmm. you know and my mom you know where uh, across the street back i don't even know who's in that building now it was workflow workflow one um there on the on the west side of um is that jefferson uh, and Monument Street. Um, yeah, that's. I don't even know who's there, but that was a that was an old Sears build. That was a Sears department store downtown. My mom worked in that building. Yeah. But you know, back in the back in the mid late seventies and and probably through a good chunk of the you know nineteen eighties, you had nothing but abandoned Frigidaire Delco buildings. You know, and where Fifth Third Field is, that's probably where two of the buildings were, and then across the street where. You know, next to you know Reckwarth Lumber and and you know down toward um, Kiowa Street. I mean, th- I mean, there were just rows and rows of these buildings that have been you know since cleared out and and raised and redeveloped. When I was a kid, I mean, you know, you know Dayton was so hardcore and indu- you know hardcore industrial Frigidaire, Delco, GM. My dad worked for Chrysler uh, up on Stanley Avenue. You know, he was an engineer up there. I mean, it was. You know that's what Dayton was, and you know Dayton is is somewhat you know Dayton is is somewhat different now. But you know what is what is missing from downtown is hey, let's build a six thousand seat arena. 
you know, let's have a, a 5,000, 5,500, 6,000 seat arena for, you know, for downtown Dayton. And it is in the book. It's after the Bombers section, I believe. I'm going to flip to make sure I'm not making that up. Well, it was it was in the in the in the gem section um, oh. where we talked about um, in the early 1970s when the WHA got its feet. And for people who don't know what the WHA was, the WHA was created as a rival league to the NHL. And Dayton was a charter member of the WHA based upon the, based upon the, um, 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 the success of the gems. And, um, the plan was to where I think it's crown Plaza. Originally it was Stouffer's, the Stouffer's hotel on Dave Hall Plaza was to build a 15,000 seat arena to house what was the Dayton arrows, which later became the Houston arrows, which later, which, which became, uh, the team which Gordy Howe and Marty Howe and Mark Howe played for uh, in Houston. And it's uh, now the Iowa Wild. The, uh, the I, I hated that they moved to Des Moines. I mean, Des Moines got its own history, too. Yeah. But it, if Dayton couldn't have the Arrows, Houston should have kept he, them. Yeah, you know, they, they, you know, you had the Houston Arrows. They were going to play temporarily in the convention center. And, you know, could the convention center play, you know, could the convention center leverage you know, it's structure now for hockey. I mean, it would have to, you'd have to do some serious work to that building um, in order to, uh, you know, in order to make it work. It might be, Lee, look in, um, what's the, the uh, it might be in and the others section. It might, I, m- I might have put it in there. Um, I feel like it was. I mean, we're talking Ice Bandits. Well, Owls are in here first. Yeah, I can't remember. I, honestly, I mean, in fact, I was, yeah. I was telling I was telling somebody last night. I'm like, um, um, I gave them a, a copy of the book, and I'm like, you know what? I've probably only read this beginning to end probably five times. And they're like, well, you wrote it. I said, no, I understand that. I said, <laughs> I, I know, I know, I wrote it, and I know there's a lot of stuff that I wrote that didn't make it in. I said, but you know, I've probably only sat down and and read this thing. You know, probably you know five or five or six times. But the 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 picture I have as I have a blueprint or a or a artist rendition of that downtown arena that they were supposed to build in. I think it was supposed to be done by the start of the nineteen seventy three season. Um, the gems were going to move out um, if they got agreement from the gem stockholders, and the gem stockholders said no, we're not moving out. So you set up, you basically set up. The same thing that you had in the mid-1990s with the Ice Bandits and the Bombers. You would have had the Gems fighting the Arrows, and the Arrows' uh, ownership didn't want that. The financing from the county, once once those dominoes started to fall, fell through, and the Arrows ended up going to Houston. So um, Dayton almost had a downtown arena. And, and, you know, who knows how that might have changed the dynamic of hockey in Dayton. Yeah. You know, as we said, 15,000, eh, you know, I'm never crazy about 15,000. You know, if, mm. if if they would have scaled it down a little bit, you know, I still say. But who knows? Maybe yeah, who the errors. Maybe the errors would have been successful. Absolutely yeah, right. Maybe even more successful than the gems. Would, a- a- which, exactly. You know, crazy to think, but we're also looking at the after section too. We're uh-huh. talking a little bit Dayton Owls, and then Dayton Ice Bandits. Yep. Not a lot of history with the Ice Bandits. They didn't do so well. Oh. Uh, 13 wins out of 74 games played and then afterwards yeah i mean that was that was really tough i mean i i remember back in the in the mid 90s um i think i just moved down here to, to centerville and 
yeah, I was a bomber season ticket holder, but you know, I would also listen to the Ice Bandits on on you know on radio and and if you were a fan of hockey at that time, I mean, you you watched what's what was happening, which was you know with with you know the Bombers were the established team, the Ice Bandits came in because Hera wanted its you know its team, and you can get into that, but it everybody suffered that year. Because the Bombers only averaged about 3,000 out at the Nutter Center. And that's that's tough out there. And they didn't it's, have very big crowds. It's a trek. I've I've done that trek for Wright State Hockey my first year covering yeah. it on WWSU. We we played at the Harrow Winter Gardens. And, you know, coming from campus, that's that's not uh, that's not an easy trip. I mean, it's easy, but it's it, it's kind of long. Yeah, I mean, it, it just, I mean, that year just kind of hurt kind of hurt Dayton hockey and and then you know the ice bandits folded the bombers attendance next year was probably up a thousand twelve hundred thirteen hundred a game <clears throat> and they had you know the bombers had some good years there in the late uh the late 1990s early 2000s you know they made it to the kelly cup a couple times once i think in 2002 once in, in 2006 but i remember that it was just you know it was just it was you know the the the, the nutter center atmosphere was you know you know it, it was it was different it's it's cavernous i mean we're hair arena i mean before they took all those tiles out and then you're just looking at a, right. a, a ceiling made of iron i mean it was it was lower. I mean, Nutter Center, you have four stories of seating, and then how many stories they have up to the roof? Pff, I don't know. And, and but I'm never going up there. No, no, and and you know, I mean, the the original the original plans for the Nutter Center, like the original plans for Hare Arena, was not for it was not for hockey. It's for Wright State basketball. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you can you can still see where Section 200 was supposed to be and was right. because. That might have been a pullaway section from the get-go because, you know, the events that come in, you can't just, you know, go through there. But you can still see the little steps leading down to Section 200, but don't take those steps because there's no Section 200, and that's uh, four stories of height up there. But you can still see where the old section was. And yeah. I mean, I love the North Center, and I love my alma mater, Wright State, but it's just – Hair Arena's got the hockey charm. Nutter Center never had it. But then again, Nutter Center, it was built at a time where Wright State basketball was rocking. Ralph Underhill had the team, you know, rolling to Division One. I. I mean, here comes our first conference, you know, invite to the MidCon. Then now the Horizon League. And exactly. Nutter Center's got its own charm. But hockey just, it's too cavernous, and it didn't draw well enough to actually make it, you know, worthwhile. Exactly. Wright State Hockey got to play at the Nutter Center just a handful of times, and the last game I remember was Wright State, Indiana, and I had that radio call. Trying to get a roster from the Indiana Hoosiers was a pain in my side. Let me <laughs> tell you. I, I didn't get them, so half the half the uh, jerseys that Indiana had didn't have names. Some mm. of them had the same numbers, so that was great. Uh, I don't remember what that game happened. All I remember was I was seething throughout the whole thing just because you guys couldn't give me a roster, seriously. That was not great. But uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of people that come out to Wright State hockey games. There was like four of us, the dedicated Wright State fans, that would come out and we watched Wright State beat Purdue like 4-1. to one. Right. Was, and now Wright State plays at the Springfield Chiller. I refuse to call it the ever name. It's the Springfield Chiller. <laughs> and... You know, that's pretty cool. They used to share Kettering Ice Arena with the Dayton Flyers. And 
Before we talk about New Arena, I'd like to talk about what hockey we do have. I know we don't have Demons and Demolition, but we do have Dayton Fangs women's hockey, mm -hmm. and they're very good. I think they finished first place this year in the Powha, which is the Pennsylvania-Ohio women's hockey. What did I say? Powha or Powlu? I forget if it's an association or a league, but hey, they were first, so yeah. I think they were first. But they've been successful. They call Kettering home. Like I mentioned, junior hockey's been up here for a couple seasons uh, in the NA3HL, which is kind of like a fear up to the NAHL. Well, if you've got a lot of talent, you can get up to the NAHL, but if you want to play hockey, you pay and you can play a little bit. We had Cincinnati Thunder and Dayton Falcons at South Metro Sports, and of course we got some high schools that have hockey, not a lot, and it is kind of a rare sport, Southwest Ohio, which is a darn shame. Someone told me that Wayne High School had hockey once upon wow, a time. Wow, I'm a Wayne grad. I did I did not know. That. I wish they had. A, I wish they would have had hockey back then when I played. I, I would have played. I ended up playing soccer because you know I was I was drawn to something with a net. You know. <laughs> Can you imagine if Wayne and Centerville did have hockey? Oh, Can you imagine man. that I mean, series? It's, it's it's enough. It's enough <laughs> basketball and football and you know again I played soccer. I mean I remember the soccer rivalry. Um, you know, back then, no, I, I, I can't. Man, that would have been that would have been fun. I mean, I love calling high school hockey. It's it's a little bit different. I mean, of course, you don't have fights; you get suspended for that stuff. Right. So you know, there's not that. But they're good kids. They got bright futures. They're playing a great sport. It's not easy being multi-sport athlete, especially when hockey's in the mix and you're waking up at four thirty. The Centerville captain never complained and actually really, really liked it because you can go out, you can do your regimen, go to school, and then head home if you had a game, which in high school hockey, your games are Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. You rarely had weekday games. That wasn't a Friday. Again, I think that's that's part of the what we talked about at the top of the, top of the broadcast. That's part of the mystique of hockey. It's the – you know, getting up at four o'clock in the morning and going to a you know rink far away, and you know on a weekend and playing and and coming back and you know it's just again it's just something it's something different about something different about hockey that you don't find with with any of the other sports. Hockey's a magical sport, and I I love calling it. I was about to say uh, before South Metro Sports was an ice hockey barn. Mm -hmm. Well, ice hockey slash other sports, but we're talking hockey. Before that, I think Centerville had to go practice and play at Hare Arena. Could you imagine that trip? Well, there were, you know, there were, I'm trying to remember what other rinks there were back in the day. There was uh, Icelandia, which I think was on Siebenthaler. Hmm. Kettering, Kettering had another ice arena on Stroop, which was... Across from Mama de Salvo's, I think there's a drive-through. There was a drive-through there, and I can't remember what it was. I mean, but again, I mean, you're talking back in the '60s and early 1970s. Winterland was really going at that point in time. Yeah. Um, you know, you could play. You know, for years I played in a in the Huff and Puff League. Um, we, you know, sometimes we would play at Hera. We mostly played at um, at Kettering. In the later years, we'd play at we'd play at Nutter Center. Um, I'm trying to think of there, there might have been a there might have been a few other rinks, but again, I mean, you know, as we were talking earlier, I mean, your you know your options are your options are pretty limited now. 
You got South Metro in Centerville right. slash Washington Township slash Springboro. You got Kettering, yep. Ice Arena, which is by the green. You have Springfield Chiller, which is the only rink that I mentioned that does not have a high school team playing it. I asked if Springfield would ever consider it, and no. So, I mean, that's a shame. I mean, you got a brand new rink there that's pretty much christened by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, they they built the Chiller as a as a as an outreach for, you know, for you know for the Chill. Um, you know, Springfield is you know thirty eight. 38 miles from, you know, from downtown Columbus, from, you know, from nationwide. And, you know, again, I mean, there, I want to say there are, there are a couple other out, there are a couple other rinks in the Columbus area that are kind of like that. So, I mean, you know, they're very, the, the, um, you know, the um, 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 Blue Jackets have been very strategic about how they have, you know, how they go about and trying to build their fan base, but. They're they're growing the sport right. I, I will, I do give them a lot of, you know, who for not doing well in the playoffs, but they have several chillers. I mean, they have the Ohio Health Ice House right, right attached to Nationwide. They also right. have that rink. They're building not the Blue Jackets, but there is someone building the Viking Center off of Sawmill, and that's going to be opening next year, 2019. Yeah, the Chiller North, which is in Lewis Center, right off 23. They're building a third sheet of ice wow. because the demand is that high, and Olentangy just opened up their fourth high school, so they might begin the program. But, I mean, Columbus is building, and I know Dayton can do this too. I, I, you know, I think we can. You know, and again, I mean, having lived here my entire life, you'll never hear me say that Dayton is not a hockey town, but I think there's – there just exists some intimidation, you know, particularly in the winter that it's, it's basketball, basketball, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the flyers and it's, you know, it's, it's the flyers, it's the flyers, then it's the Raiders and it's high schools or whatever else. Mm -hmm. But I, you know what, I don't believe it. I mean, and I, you know, there were many times back in the mid years of the bombers that, you know, the flyers were at home, the, on a Saturday night, the Raiders were at home on a Saturday night and the Flyers were drawing 13,000 at UD Arena, and the Raiders were drawing seven, 8,000 at the Nutter Center, and the Bombers were drawing 5,000-plus on a Saturday night, you know, and in February or January. And so all the high schools were rocking too. Yeah. So there's plenty of room at the table for – there's plenty of room at the table for hockey. I, I agree, but you got to play it smart. you got to – Absolutely. You have to do this smart. You have to make sure that – you're going to keep it around for a long time because if people think you're just one year and done type of thing, they're not going to. That's that's hard. You know, no, that's hard. It's tough. It's it's hard. I mean, I, you know, again, you go, you know, the you know the gems that you know it was, it was well into their third year, you know, before they really you know attendance wise caught fire, and then you know fourth, fifth, sixth year were were really good with the bombers. First year was first year was good. Second year was really good. Yeah. Third year was eh, but you know, then the uh, you know, I remember the fourth year when when they set the um, set the record for longest und- I think it still stands the longest undefeated streak at the beginning of the season. I think they went eight zero and one, seven zero and one. They they could have gone longer. They they actually lost a Wheeling. They were I think they were up like four to three on Wheeling late in the third period. Gave up a late oh. goal, then they lost in a lost in a shootout. But again, I mean those years. 
Saturday night, forget it. I mean, yeah. you know, unless you got your tickets, you know, by Friday or Thursday, you're not getting you, a yeah, ticket you're, in there. Yeah, good luck. I would love to broadcast those, but then again, I would have been a kid, so I don't think I would have been a good <laughs> broadcaster yet. I do want to finish up my thought because uh, I mentioned high schools. Uh, uh-huh. Centerville and Springboro's at South Metro. Beaver Creek and Alters at Kettering. Right. I mentioned no high school teams at the Springfield Chiller. Talawanda probably has the sweetest setup. Maybe, well, Troy would be second with Hobart, but they have Miami University's rink. Sometimes they can play in the big rink where the Red Hawks play. Sometimes they're in the auxiliary rink. But that was the first time I ever got to see dueling Zambonis, just two. Oh, aren't those cool? Yeah, I love. I like their talk about one. That was really cool. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just that facility is awesome. Like I said, if I could rip that out from Miami, uh, make a clone. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not mean. I promise, Red Hawk fans. But if I could make a clone of that and stick that somewhere around South Dayton area or maybe downtown Dayton by Fifth Third Field, I would. Let's put hockey there. I would love it. You know, uh, you know, whatever they're going to do with the well, I, I, uh, you know, they talk about leaving the roundhouse up at the fairgrounds. I wish they'd leave the grandstand up at the at the fairgrounds. Um, I think the fairgrounds would be a heck of a place for an arena. Um, I can't imagine what the traffic would be if your hockey team and the Flyers played on, you know, <laughs> what what it would look like on Stewart Street and Main Street. Not fun. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Not, not fun. Um, but I, you know, I think that would be a good area. But again, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, um, you know, the area around, the area around um, Fifth Third Field, maybe a little bit further east on, you know, Third Street, you know, Third Street, Fourth Street, Fifth Street, you know, would would be okay too. And lastly, closing up that last thought, the Dayton Firefighters Hockey Club, they're a tremendous bunch of ladies and gentlemen, and they do a lot of great things. Great. Um, I, they like me as their PA announcer. They say I bring nice little <laughs> flair to the thing, so that's pretty cool. You're a good hockey dude, Lee, I'm telling yeah, you. I, I try my best. But like I said, good people, they do a lot of uh, causes. In fact, just this last weekend, they won first place at the Indian Hill Rangers tournament down at uh, well, Indian Hill. I don't know. What is that town called? Northeast Cincinnati. Yeah, it's it's close to Ward's Corner, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. If you ever if, if you ever go there, it's, it's a private built facility, meaning you need uh, your membership, but if you ever get a chance to go in there, I mean, that's one of the coldest <laughs> coldest rings but when you get inside you're you're like in a cabin and it's it, it's it's marvelous hmm. and lastly just to touch on youth hockey because it's still going strong around here dayton stealth tri-state spartans they call a lot of rinks around cincinnati dayton indiana and kentucky home uh, dayton falcons i know nick poe talked about that and oh god what episode was that uh, it's it's back in the library. Go go find it. But Nick Poe has been a guest on this podcast twice, talking about that. And former Dayton Demons goalie Tony Tabiz, mm. also former Wright State Raiders goalie, is going to be one of the coaches. Good. Don't ask me which one, but he's going to be one of the coaches. <laughs> so let's go ahead and talk about arena. Yep. Here here's money. This is not real money. That's me slamming my hands on the table. But. You have all the money you need to build a hockey facility uh-huh. to host a pro team and to host whatever else you wanted in the off season or you know non home games. Right. 
Uh, we talked about location a little bit. What would you build and why? Uh, you know, again, I mean, we, we talked about, uh, you know, the model of, um, I, you know, I wish I, I wish you could, you I wish you could dig up Hobart or Hera and, and put it somewhere in the, in the downtown area. I think the, the east part of the downtown would be good. I think the south end of the downtown, because you have development down there, I think you have some, you have some property options down there would, you know, would be okay size, size wise. I think, you, you know, I, I think scarcity still sells. I think 5,500 to 6,000, maybe just a little bit north of 6,000 would work. You would need your suites. You would make it, you would need to make it multi-purpose enough that you could host, you know, other events, maybe high school basketball, you know, tournament games. Um, you know, you would need, you know, I mean, you could take the, you know, you could take the model of the Nutter Center. I mean, you need, you know, banquet facilities and meeting facilities and, you know, just so that you have something in there and, and going all the time. Um, I, you know, I would, I would probably go that, I mean, I would probably go that direction. I mean, um, I know there's been talk about Austin Landing, you know, would I go that far? You know, it's, it, you know, maybe now I, I would be tempted because, you know, the Cincinnati-Dayton corridor has continued to grow, and you have a tremendous population between Dayton and Cincinnati on the south side now. But you still have fans on the east side. You still have fans on the north side. And I still don't think anything beats a central, you know, a central location. And um, I still think the city of Dayton downtown is still the core of this of this region, and the core has to be strong. So I, my... You know, my feeling would still be let's put it downtown, you know, let's spur development. Um, you know, if you had 35, 38 games a year downtown, that's just for the hockey team aside from everything else. You know, that's between the Dragons and a hockey team and and a few other things. I mean, you could be talking about, you know, 100 and, you know, 130, 140 plus nights a year. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's gold. That is very nice. But, you know, people also, you also got to remember too that, um, just real quick that, you know, I, I've always contended and I don't mean to step on anybody's toes by saying this, you know, hockey's a tough sport to go to because on, it's so quick. Uh, it, well, it is. I mean, but you know, me and you were, you know, we're, we're wearing shorts, you know, we, you could throw it, <laughs> you could throw a t-shirt on, you can throw a T-shirt, a pair of shorts, and a pair of flip-flops. Go to a Dragons game. Go to a you know. Go to a Wright State game. Go to a UD game. Man, Saturday night or a Wednesday night when it's snowing and it's <laughs> five degrees, and you've got tickets, and you're like, you know, the roads stink, mm. or maybe you go to the game and they're like, snow's going to start during the game, and you got to leave after the game. And you've got a sheet of ice or snow on the hockey's a tough sport to to support. It doesn't mean you know it doesn't take away from people being fans or the love. I mean, it's just it's a different dynamic. I mean, it's 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 everything is everything is different. It's like going to a basketball. I mean, it's like going to a basketball game. I mean, you you have those same conditions in the winter. It's just not always it's it's just not always easy. And I think that you know that probably hurts hockey a little bit um you know because of having to having to face those elements now we talked about the book and uh -huh. 
It is Hockey in Dayton, Images of Sports by Chuck Gabriger. And Chuck Gabriger happens to be across from me on episode 39 of The Gem and the Queen's Crown. Have you thought sequel? Yeah, so there's a there's a part there's a there's a part two, which actually I guess part two would be the prequel. Um, because we're going back now I'm going back and and we'll write the book about the gems that I wanted to write. So I've got a working I've got a working title for the book, which is called Here They Come, Your Dayton Gems, because Charlie Robinson was the was the PA announcer uh, for the Gems, and he was later uh, also the PA announcer for the Dayton Flyers. And when the fly or when the Gems would come out of that north entrance, uh, he would say, "Here they come, your Dayton Gems." And so I, you know, it's just one of those things that we were from we were talking about earlier. It's one of the things that I remember as as a kid. I remember Charlie Robinson saying that. So it just it just seemed to me to be a, a good working title for the book. But I like that. I mean. PA announcers with Dayton hockey seem, you know, make a lot of catchy catchphrases. Sure, I, I mean, mean Steve Kirk was, yeah, Steve was Kirk was incredible. Bolio was, you know, Bolio was incredible. Let's I mean, count them down. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, it, you know, you know, public address announcers. I mean, you know, they could. I think, I think the role of the PA announcers changed a lot over the years, rather than just goal by or you know basket by. You know, now they. They're kind of, you know, in addition to what's going on on the court or on the rink or whatever. I mean, they they have some responsibility too, and whipping the whipping the crowd up, you know, to, you know, to you know a, a certain degree without you know absolutely going crazy. But yeah, I mean, you got you got to make sure you get the other team's names right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. so uh, um, my goal, no pun intended, is to have uh, <laughs> is to have number is to have the have the second one out by this time next year. Very cool. Yeah. I was going to ask about a sequel covering the rest of the timeline because where it stops, it talks a little bit about demons. And when you published the book, the demolition wasn't a thing. Right. You talk about the the playoff championship in 2014. Right. Which, man, that was that was a lot of fun. I, I remember that. I wish I went to Connecticut to call that game. I really wish I did. But – I had an indoor football game at Hare Arena, the Dayton Sharks. Yep. And after we won, I think did we play Port Huron and the Patriots that night? I don't know. Maybe. I ran down to the pub because we were having a watch party down there, and I come in and I was following along on the stat sheet to see the score, and I'm seeing seven to two. I'm like, <laughs> I'm dropping my jaw. I almost miss a play on the Sharks thing. I'm just like. That's seven to two. I don't believe it. I go down. It's nine to two, and everyone's kind of making fun of the the two calling the game. It's like, hey, you know, you, you don't sound so happy that Dayton's winning. Oh, wait a minute. Um, but yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. That was a that was a great night, and I I I really yeah. People say a lot of bad things about the FHL, and a lot of it is warranted, but. The four years I called it, I made I made some good friends. I made I've I've met a lot of people. I think that's how well that is. That, how that's I how met that's you. how you and I met, right? Yeah, demolition. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, you know, when the book came out, the book came out in I actually finished the copy. Um, it was published in August of 2015, but my copy was due. Um, I think the just after Valentine's Day 2015. So. 
you know, was, I was, you know, six months out, out ahead. So we could do a, um, you know, they, they, I'm, I'm trying to remember what the number of initial run, um, Arcadia does. And when they get down to a certain number, they'll call and say, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to make any changes? Are we going to add? And at that point in time, you know, we could, we could continue building out the timeline. Yeah. But I was at that point in time, I was pretty much timeline constrained by, you know, by everything. No, I understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying anything bad. It's just no, no, be- no, no. I get no, no. I get it. I mean, because you know, I mean, a, a book like this. I mean, there, there are certain things. You know, there are certain things. That's just one of my favorite pictures of Lefty. Um, lefty at center ice and hockey. That was just one of my favorites. Page sixty-seven, top one. Yeah, and I think it's one of your books that you got out. Just. It's weird to see Coca-Cola's logo yeah. has not changed since then, but Sprite, Fresca, and Tab. Yep. Well, you know, if you can ever find Tab again, that's, yeah, that's and weird. It, and that's one of the stories I, I tell there, that Lefty Lefty was so ahead of his time in that he wanted to put sponsor logos on the ice, and the rest, right. of, the, rest of the IHL owners said, not going to happen. They, they felt like doing that, doing dasher boards, um, was he called it to Barnum and Bailey? It, it it just it 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 undermined the it undermined again what we what we have talked about several times here the mystique of hockey, which now I mean nowadays what, it's common yeah. practice, and if you don't do that, you don't get money in. No, if you what, go if you go to a Fort Wayne game, you see all those sponsors down there. Heck yeah. Cincinnati does that too, but Fort Wayne's got it where it's almost like. Here, here's the big important circles and everything for hockey, and you know, rest is rest is um, sponsorship. Yeah, and why wouldn't you do that for hockey? I mean, because baseball, baseball has always, you know, they had sponsors on the fences. Yeah, you know, why wouldn't hockey put, you know, and and I can think that for for as long as you know for for time and millennium that that, you know. Uh, you know, look at you know the 1930s and 1940s. I mean, look at the fences in baseball parks. Look at look at the scoreboards. And I mean, every every you know, you had sponsors. That, yeah, it was cigarettes and beer. But yeah, I was going to say know, there's you, a lot of tobacco. There's a lot of tobacco ones. I don't know, know if you can get away but, with that now. But you know, you had soft drinks. I mean, you know, and you had chips and pretzels and and everything else. And that's what you know. That's what Lefty wanted to do. And and you know, again, it's just it's just one of those that you know, Lefty wasn't a hockey guy. Lefty was a promoter. I mean, you know that. That was that was the thing. That's that's why the gems were so successful because he could he could shake hands and kiss babies, and he knew the guys, he knew the press. He was a he was a newspaper writer, so he knew all the newspaper guys around here, and he would he would he would hand feed, you know, the writers the stories because they weren't familiar with hockey. But Lefty, you know, Lefty didn't know hockey either. I mean, he knew enough about sports and he knew enough about hockey. He left that to Warren Back and Larry Wilson and all those other guys. His job was to sell the sport and to promote the sport, and he was a genius at it. I mean, back in the day, you had a lot of Dayton companies around. I mean, there's, I sure. think it's in this book where you had the story of Mr. Reich. Or did yeah, Dave Reich. Yeah, 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 Dave Reich. That's, I mean, it's, it's a great, I mean, it's a great story. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite stories. You know, guys, Sunday afternoon, uh, I think Al Cleary scores a hat trick, and the guy stands up, throws his hat on the ice, and Lefty's like, "I want to get somebody to throw that guy out of Hare Arena." But that's Mr. Reich. That's that's Dave Reich. He, he yeah. kind of owns Reichs, <laughs> which turned into Shield of Reichs, then Lazarus, Lazarus and everything know. else. Lazarus is what I grew up with. Now it's Macy's. Yeah, but good he, luck getting Macy's on your ice. 
but, I, but you know, but I, as I say, you know, I, I said that uh, on my Facebook post the other day after I met uh, uh, Sid Grant. I said hockey stories are the best. They are. I mean, hockey stories are just funny. And, and again, I mean, there are there are there were three dozen that didn't make it in there for various reasons. Uh, you know, I mean, there were there were ten stories that Sid Grant told me on on Saturday that I would never share. But there, but they're but they're funny as heck, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, but again, I mean, with with hockey and Dayton, I, th- I think it, they would probably lend itself to a little bit better to the to the sequel. I mean, it was just, you know, you only have so much space, you only have so much to, to talk about, and, yeah. and they didn't make it. But I want to make sure that the next book has the forum to share those stories. Before I get to the next point, it just occurred to me that you know we hear you know Mr. Reich was you know into the gems but yeah. why didn't we hear anything from you know mr elder and mr bierman you know, you know what they, I, were, I, they were daytonians uh, for yeah, God's I, sakes. I, you know what i don't know i mean um and now other stores are closing it's you know i think every every sport has its you know every sport and and everything has its supporter and um you know i, th- I think he you know some people are going to you know some people are going to like it be it be it you know, hockey or baseball or, or, or ballet or whatever else. And, you know, and other, other people, you know, other people's aren't. So it's like, it's probably a bad example of it, but it's like charity. I mean, you have, you have your, you have your favorite, you have your favorite charities or you have your favorite events to support at schools around here or, or whatever. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I was surprised Mike Sells didn't do more with sports, but they were sponsors of the Dayton Dutch Lions for a while. Yeah. It was cool. It was cool just going to the tent when I was still doing Dutch Lions games and just getting a free bag of chips. Like, heck yes, free chips. I like it. Uh, the one thing I also wanted to add in the sequel, well, not me. I'm not writing the book. You're writing the book. But you mentioned in here about you know, Lyle Stig. You mentioned about Steve Kirk. You yep. mentioned about uh, uh, Kirby. Yep. And I left John Bolio out. And John, if you're listening, I, we've we've talked about it. And I've apologized a hundred times. I, I love John. John's a great guy, and and he was you know he's he's been a part of he's been a part of hockey more than any of them. He was the. Uh, can I just say it's weird not hearing him called B Man. I just call him B Man. Yeah. Because I never knew how to say you know Bolio. Yep, the B-Man. Yeah, B-Man. B-Man. I keep forgetting his first name's John, too. Yep. But, uh, you know, you can hear him 3 to 7 on 104.7. WTUE. I almost said 107. 104.7 WTUE. See, I got my radio voice back. 104.7 WTUE. It's the, that's the magic of podcasts. <laughs> but uh, B-Man, Lyle Stig. Um, I think J.D. Zabo called a couple years of May have. Uh, um, you, you spoke, you talked about Greg Waddell doing Miami games. Greg Waddell yeah. called games. Gary Lowe called games. Don Helbig did a lot of Cincinnati games. Um, I feel like, did he do Cincinnati games? Tom Michaels did the first year of, um, Tom Michaels did the first year of the Bombers. Um, that guy's been around a long time. He's yep. seen a lot of great sports. Um, Daryl Ray, mm-hmm. who was a National Hockey League goalie. Um, did Bombers games uh, during the 1993-94 season. I think I tell the story. I'll just give this one real quick. Daryl Ray played in the National Hockey League. He was a goalie, and he came to Dayton. He was doing a rehab assignment because he had hurt his knee. Uh, he ended up hurting his knee again, and um, he was uh, you know, on injured reserve or whatever you want to call it. And um, the Bombers needed a broadcaster, and Bud Ganger, who was the owner at the time, said – 
you know, either he goes, I'll tell you what, he goes, I, I want to put you up in a radio booth. And Daryl Ray said, I don't know anything about doing radio. And Bud said, well, I'll tell you what, you can either go up in the radio booth and make some money or I'm going to cut you. So he went up in the radio booth. He was very good. Um, he ended up leaving Dayton after that next year. I think he went to Kalamazoo and did Wings games. And I think in 96 he ended up as color guy for the Dallas Stars. And I think he, I, I haven't looked, but I think he's still there. I mean, he's, 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 been with the, he's been with the Dallas Stars for, for 20 years. That's impressive. Yeah. I wish as a kid I was a sports fan, but I always remember when we stopped at the Bellbrook McDonald's, there was always this brown van parked in the same spot, had the old elongated Dayton Bombers shield yeah. on the back window. It's like, I know what that is. That's hockey. Well, you're probably too young to remember um, back in, in you know the early 1990s, Bud and Arnie had the great idea, and I think Les Crooks was the – uh, Les Crooks was the was the PR guy for the Bombers. Mm. Um, they painted an RTA bus purple and wrote, wrote Bombers on the side of it. And you would see that. There might have been two of them. And you would see them driving around downtown and the proximity to downtown all the time. It was a brilliant idea. I mean, it was I mean, it was the thing was all purple or royal blue or whatever the whatever the bombers color was. I mean, it was there it was, and it just said bombers across the side. I feel like I've seen it, but I don't it, hold me to that. But it was, you know, but it was fant- it was fantastic. Uh, you know, it, again, I mean, uh, you know, Bud and Arnie, you know, back in the early days. I mean, uh, later on, John Tall in the in the late nineties. Uh, when he was brought in as general manager, I mean, they did they did awesome things. They had something I remember it was car load night. It was like you know you go to a drive in theater and it's as many people as you pile into your car for like twenty bucks, twenty five bucks on Wednesday nights. They had car load night huh. out at the Nutter Center. It was like yeah, it was like I mean, twenty bucks. It was like you they, get you they get tried. yeah they get ten people in. You know you'd pay twenty bucks, uh, and they did other stuff. I mean they were the the bombers were really really. The bombers were really, really creative, um, be it at at, at Hera um, or at uh, or at the Nutter Center. It's some really good. I mean, it's some they had some really good acts come in. I mean, not just the Hanson. I mean, you know, the Hanson brothers. Yeah, I mean, every, you know, but yeah, but I feel like the Hanson brothers get to a lot of the rings anymore. Sure, they do. It's it's like Star Wars Day. Sure, and Star Wars stuff. We get it. They exist. I like Star Wars. You're yeah. killing me. You can, Dude. yeah, you can, you can ride, you can only ride the whole, I mean, everybody loves Slapshot and everybody loves the whole thing. I mean, but you can, you know, you can, you know, you can, you can take that just so, but no, I'm sure the, the Carlson brothers have made, you know, a really nice living and everybody loves Slapshot and everybody, everybody can recite putting on the foil coach and, <laughs> uh, you know, and everything else. But the bombers were, the bombers were really good at, at promoting for, you know, for a good long time. Chuck, yep. if people want to buy hockey in Dayton, images of sports, where can people get themselves a copy? They can go to the Arcadia Publishing website. They can go to Amazon and pick one up. Uh, they can go to Barnes and go to Barnes and Noble. I go there and snoop around every now and again. Uh, it's at Books and Company. It's at Costco. So it's at Books and Company. Yeah, cool. Um, there's uh, you know there there are a number of places to. Uh, uh, pick one up. You can also, if if 
If you want an autographed copy, uh, you can go to the Hockey and Dayton page, which I haven't updated in a while, but I will do that. You can drop me a message at uh, Hockey and Dayton Facebook. Um, I'll be more than happy to work with you to get you, uh, get you a signed copy as well. When the book first came out, I also heard that it was at the Walgreens and in- Huber Heights is that yeah. still the case? I don't know. I, you know what? I don't know if it's still there or not. I know that they. I know that they hit uh, a number of the Walgreens because you know one of the things you do is work with the publishers and you go, hey, you know where would where would good places uh, be? My first signing was at the Walgreens or not the Walgreens was at uh, Costco and Centerville. That was nice. pretty cool. That was you know is- had like ten people there. But you know what? The hey. the people who did show up, it was fun, and everybody talked about you know you'd sit there for 10, 15 minutes and talk, and it was I mean it was it was a really good time. You briefly mentioned that you had a couple of workshops talking about the book, mm-hmm. and the last one you had, I went to. It was at Wright State. Uh, was that last year? It was last year. Yeah, I haven't done. I haven't done one since. No, actually, I did. I did one down here in Centerville last year. So I'm working on working on putting a few others together because, again, I mean, I think people like hearing the stories and people like talking. People like talking about hockey. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, so there are a few others that I'm working on right now. Chuck, it's been an absolute honor having you on episode 39. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, how do they do that? I would say just uh, drop a uh, drop a line, go out to uh, Facebook, Hockey and Dayton Facebook page, and drop me a uh, you know drop me a message, like it. Um, love talking about it. Love talking to you about uh, you know about hockey, and and uh, I'll have more when I when I do some of the. Um, you know, some of the workshops or the seminars and, and, you know, we can talk in person because there's a, there's a lot to talk about. As you can see from the stack of programs, I mean, you can just, you know, you can, you can, there's so much to to talk about. And, um, you know, one thing just real quick, I mean, I love to talk about how the culture of Dayton changed and who advertisers were and, and sponsors. You, you talked about that because when, you know, when you look at some of these programs, you, you get an idea of, um, you know, you know, what was going on in Dayton, you know, uh, on the back of the program you're looking at, I look at third national bank and I, you know, third national bank. I can't remember if third national bank, so, you know, someone who's probably listening to this podcast can remember. I can't remember if third national bank eventually became national city, which eventually became PNC uh, or if, if third national bank eventually became society, which eventually became key bank. But, but what I'm getting at is, it was a different time. You know, you had different businesses. You had different sponsorships. The city looked different. Every, you know, everything was different. Channel 7 was king of news. And, and uh, you know, Omar Williams was the dean oh, of sports Omar on Williams. Channel 2. And it, it was just different. And those are the things I like. You know, when I, have those, when I have those talks and talk about the book, those are the things I like to talk about. You mentioned the third national bank ad on the Dayton Gems program I have. That guy has a pointy chin, and I just I, I smile. <laughs> I smile at the fact that it says Green Machine. That's what Green my, Machine. Yeah, that's those what my early... parents always say, and I say that sometimes. And my girlfriend looks at me like you're old. Like the early AT, the early ATMs. Those were man. Yeah. Those were Green. That machines. was big. I mean, that was big news. You didn't have to go to a teller anymore. You just had these. You know, you had these machines, and you know, I, I remember one of the first ones. I think was a courthouse plaza there. Um, where uh, Elder Beer, where Elder Beerman was at, um, that was one of the that was one of the first green machines. Um, it, you know, it's just you know the um, you know and you know I don't want to take up too much time talking about this, but you know one of the things that I'll, I'll spend time talking about in um, the sequel, the Gems book, is uh, and I talked about with Sid Grant with this over the weekend was how much you know the culture of Dayton changed, you know. 
Dayton changed, you know, in terms of population, how hockey changed, you know, just doing playing with straight blade sticks, you know, to curve sticks. You know, most goalies in 64 didn't play with masks. Pat Rupp was an exception. By the time you got, you know, to 72, all goalies probably for the except of Bob, uh, for the exception of Bob Perot, um, um, played uh, war masks. I mean, so those are the things that I, I may have touched upon them in, in hockey and Dayton. Uh, there'll, there'll be a lot more of that in the sequel. Well, originally, I smiled at the fact that there's a Magnavox Odyssey ad. Magnavox. Uh, and, and there's there's people that fix them. And people could go to Elder Beerman and fix those. Yeah. Good Lord. I remember last episode I was talking about Elder Beerman closing because they have this section where it has uh, sports stuff close to home. Yeah. And now the closing that's going away. But uh got my first TV at EB Electronics before they moved into the mall. But now anymore – Good luck going to the department store in the mall and yeah. getting electronics. Yeah. And good luck trying to find a series there you that's go. still open. Uh, blah, there's blah, that blah. picture. That's a picture of Ken Wilson, who became the general manager of the Dayton Gems in 1976. Ken Wilson was the first manager of the Troy Bruins in 1950. Nice. So it was kind of – and, you know, in between, he was in Flint with the Generals. He was in Des Moines with the Oak Leafs. So – you know, um, you know, Ken Wilson's family was key in getting me some early pictures for hockey in Dayton. Uh, and it was great talking to them. I could have a whole episode just talking about all these companies I remember as a kid. T-105, WTUE. That was before T- 104.7. It was T- 104.7. You were still – you were yeah, because yeah, you were, rounded up. Yeah, yeah, you were still three cycles away from 105. But, but what if I go on 104.9 and all I hear is static? I'm going <laughs> to yell at you. I mean – Ponderosa on here. God, that was the place. There's an Elder Beerman ad. Ponderosa. I, like I said, I can go through all these and, like, remember this store? I sure do. Yeah. I, I don't think that'd be a fun episode. Yeah. I mean, it would be for me. But, but it's, you know, you, know, you could, um, it's just, you, you could, you can go through all those programs starting 64 and get to 1980, and you'll, you will see, you'll, you'll see how Dayton changed. And I think there's, there's a great parallel between how Dayton changed and how hockey changed between 1964 and 1980, and that's what I try to get to in the book. That's why I started this podcast. I mean, not to talk about the change of Dayton, but I feel like there was an ad in the one I was just looking at, Sports Talk 1290. And, WHIO. of course, yeah, WHIO. Now that's, you know, you know, political talk, and we don't talk political talk on this podcast, and we never will. But – just to think that, you know, radio stations back then used to cover things. Now, around here, you have 980 covers the Dragons. You have 1290 with the Flyers, of course. And well, Wright State has 106.5 for basketball. Not but, only that, but think of WHIO playing music. When, yeah. when WHIO, when Lyle Stig was calling the games on radio for WHIO, you know, before the game, you'd hear music, you'd hear like, I'm just I'm just trying to think, uh, you know, back then. Maybe you heard, you know, Carly Simon or you heard the Beatles or uh, um, Cornelius Brothers and Sister Rose or the OJs or something like that. And then you'd hear that after the game. Um, WING was top 40. So you heard it wasn't, it wasn't ESPN. No, no, it was it was it was music. So, you know, Dayton Media was, you know, W.O.N.E. was country back then. Yeah. Mark Schlemmer talked about that on the couple of episodes yeah. he was on with me. W.O.N.E. was country that. back then. So, it's just, I mean, it just kind of gives you just an idea just, how much it's different now. Dayton's changed so much, like yep. you mentioned, and just it's hard to believe. Yeah. But here's hoping Dayton, you know, 
Changes for the better. Yep. Uh, Chuck, uh, last words for fans to close out episode thirty-nine. Well, I know that you, uh, you know, you talked. Uh, you know, uh, you know, what would I have to say to to anybody listening? Um, the thing that comes to mind about writing this and then writing the next book again, I started in about nineteen ninety-three, and Hockey and Dayton got published in two thousand fifteen. So I don't know. I wasn't a math major. It's somewhere around twenty-two years or something like that. <laughs> you know, if you get something. You know, and it this just stuck with me because it was just so important. Stick with it, you know, stick with it, see it through. It may change a little bit. You know, Hockey and Dayton wasn't the original vision. That's okay because, but I, I, you know, I still got something out. I still got something that was important to me out that told the story of Hockey and Dayton. Still got it out. Okay, I'll circle back and get one now, but it doesn't matter what you're doing or what you want to do. Stick, you know, just stick with it and see it through. And, you know, you'll get it done and it will pay off not that i've made millions off that but you know what but it's finished it's out there and people can read it and people can come in and they can learn about they can learn about hockey and dating to me and that was the most important thing chuck this has been an absolute honor uh pre-editing we are just about a minute and a half shy of two hours i had a great time it's been a lot of fun and folks because this is released today tuesday go vote and also check out the Anchor.fm feed because I finally figured out how to refresh the RSS feed. So now all 38 episodes are on there. Got to figure out how to get 39 on there, but that's another issue for another day. Chuck, absolute pleasure. And Thanks for asking me. I had a great time. Thanks, Lee. And we'll talk to you again sometime soon. All right? Great. Thanks, Lee. This is episode 39 of the Gem on the Queen's Crown. Go vote. Thank you for listening to the Gem on the Queen's Crown. Follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Acast, Radio Public, Anchor.fm, Radio Line, Player.fm, Spreaker, Podbean, Podchaser, Overcast.fm, BeyondPod, Podbait.fm, and listen notes by searching Gem in the Queen's Crown. Like the Facebook page, The Gem on the Queen's Crown, and follow on Twitter at Gem on Queen Crown. Follow the host on Twitter and Facebook at The Lee W. Mowen. Visit TheLeeWMowen.com and GemCitySports.com. Music provided by FreestockMusic.com. Music